0: invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to the book of Exodus. You might call it the gospel of Exodus. Uh, In Exodus we have really the Old Testament story of redemption, God's redemptive acts. And tonight we're looking at uh, redemption as we are continuing this series on Old Testament signs, uh, things that point us to uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We've explained before that uh, the Old Testament is, is necessary to really have a, a fully-orbed uh, understanding and view of Jesus. If uh, your Bible really starts with Matthew uh, chapter 1, you're not going to have uh, a rich understanding of who Jesus uh, really is and what He came to accomplish and what He means for you. Uh, so tonight we're looking at the, um, the theme, one of the themes that runs through the Old Testament is the theme of redemption, if I were to ask you tonight to define that word for me, I wonder uh, how many of you could give a nice, concise definition of what the word means. We, we, we hear it all the time. We, we acknowledge that Jesus is our Redeemer. But if I ask you very specifically, to say, what, is it, what does redemption mean? I think many of us would struggle. I think Leon Morris gives uh, maybe the best, short, concise definition when he says redemption is deliverance by payment of a price. And that's what we'll be looking at. The, the, redemption is deliverance by the payment of a price. We are culturally handicapped in many ways uh, when we think about the concept of redemption because it doesn't play that big a role in, uh, in, in our life. Uh, the, when I'm, as I'm thinking about where would we run into redemption, maybe the most common place is to redeem a soda can. Um, it's got $0.10 cents redemption value on it, um, and that's a really insignificant example, but it is p- pretty accurate in, in the sense that uh, a soda can has usefulness while it, is, while it has soda in it, but as soon as the uh, soda is gone, the usefulness is, is uh, done, and now it's just a piece of aluminum that is, it's become trash, and its destiny is the, is the dump. Right? Down on Clyde Park and 100th or wherever they, they take it. Uh, and it's going to be buried there and no, no usefulness, no meaning, no value forever. That's, that's its destiny. Unless it gets redeemed. And if you take it to the store and you redeem it for its 10 cent value, the the redemption is the the company agreeing to buy back that can from you for 10 cents and they will recycle that can and it will have uh, ongoing value and usefulness. And so though it's a very small little picture, it is a somewhat accurate picture. Now what we're going to see is that um, where we have very meager little cultural examples, God gave Israel all sorts of cultural uh, examples, the the concept of redemption was woven throughout the life of Old Testament Israel. They would know what it meant, and God uh, specifically commands them to do various things so their children know what it means to be redeemed, and so we're going to look at that. I'd like you to, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, this is the first time uh, that we have the word redemption in the Bible, Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. So God has come to Moses and said, I'm going to ask you to, uh, I'm commanding you to lead the people out of, of uh, Egypt. Um, let me just pick it up, verse 2. God spoke to Moses. And said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, Of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word tonight. Well, oh God in heaven, as we come now to this great Old Testament theme, I pray, Lord, that we could relish in Your great salvation of sinners in Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, it would it would be oh, it was just sweet to us again tonight to know that. In Christ, we are redeemed and and have a sense of all that that means. So, Lord, bless us. Give us ears to hear tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. In the in the Old Testament, uh, there are three different word groups, and I don't usually go into. Um, Hebrew word studies with you, it's, it's often not that helpful. I think it's, it's um, somewhat helpful tonight just to give us a sense of the richness of the term. Uh, when where an idea functions in a community, there's going to be more than one word for it. As you know, Eskimos have something like 30-some words for snow. Uh, it's a meaningful part of, of their life. Well, redemption is a meaningful part of Israel, and there are uh, three different basic word groups uh, Hebrew is made up often of a, just a root word and then all sorts of variations off from that. Well, the first uh, root word is goel. G- if you're keeping notes, it's G-O-E-L. Uh, that's how it would look, I suppose, in English, goel. And uh, the this word group has the... Um, it has to do with family relationships and responsibilities, so it, it deals specifically with the redemptive duties that belong to a family member. Uh, Morris, again, says, a discharging one's obligations as a kinsman, a redeemer kinsman, involved a delightful variety of activities. It might mean marrying the widow of a deceased kinsman, so Boaz and Ruth would be the great Old Testament example of that. Uh, It might mean uh, buying a family member out of slavery. Oftentimes when people uh, came into very difficult financial straits, they would sell themselves into slavery, and then it would be up to a kinsman redeemer to buy them back out of slavery. Or it would be uh, you reclaiming a field also that would have been sold in a time of, of financial distress. And sometimes it would be uh, your responsibility to uh, exact justice on someone who had um, murdered one of your relatives. And then you would redeem, um, you as a kinsman redeemer, your responsibility was to carry out justice. Well, all of these transactions involve just basic things. So, Um, Again, to help us get a sense of the richness of of the term, there would be a redeemer, a person with a familial blood relationship who has familial rights and duties, like Boaz. And so when Ruth, if you remember the story, is out cleaning and this nice guy helps her out and she comes back and Naomi said, wow, that's a lot of wheat. How did that? And she says, well, I was working in the field of this guy, his Boaz, and, and he was just really generous, really kind. And Naomi, Naomi says to Ruth, he's, our kin, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. He's one of our goel. Um, and that's, of course, what he was and what he did. So it's a redeemer who rescues a familiar uh, familial property or person, someone maybe who's been sold into slavery or maybe a widow, from a situation of bondage or loss and for the payment of a price. That's a person who rescues a family member or, or property from a situation of loss with the payment of a price. And so in the uh, Exodus 6 then, is, the word here is goel. When, when God says to Israel, I am your kinsman redeemer. Uh, it, the beauty of this, of course, is that as God, the first time he uses the concept of redemption or the word redemption, he's letting Israel know that, that their family, that he is taking them uh, under his wings as his people. And that's why he says, I, I'm the God who appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. We have family history. You belong to me. I've, I'm your God by way of covenant, and I made promises to them, and and God now shows up as the father of this family. He's bound his name to their well-being, and now he comes and says, I'm going to redeem you. And the the story then moves on from chapter 6, God's great redemptive work, leading Israel out of the bondage of Egypt with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, the great acts of judgment that he performs. And the story just keeps moving until Israel is fully set free. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. The dead bodies of Pharaoh's army is washed up on the shore. They're out of Egypt. They're in the land that God, or on their way to the land that God had promised to them. And then what God does when um, he leads them out of Egypt, he leads leads them directly to, or it it, it takes a couple months, but they get to Mount Sinai. That's the destination. And at Mount Sinai, God gives them all these various laws and and ceremonies, and many of them to remind them of their redemption. Uh, And so you'll find laws about uh, how to redeem. For instance, in Exodus 21, you can find if if your ox gets out and kills someone, you, um, you're not liable if it's the first time it happened. But if it's happened before that your ox got out and wounded someone, and you were warned and you didn't do anything about it, and it happens a second time, then your life is forfeit. This is Exodus twenty-one. And and there we read that um, you, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall also be put to death. You're responsible. I. Uh, and so you, your life is forfeit. You are justly put to death. However, there was a, a clause, if a ransom, a kofer, is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. And there the term redemption is pada, And that is just a, a ransom, uh, the um, ransom by the payment of a price. So the man could buy back, in a sense, his own life. He could redeem his life by paying the ransom price. And this, um, again, and there's other examples I could give to you. What I'd like to look, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Exodus chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 13. Here we see one of the most prominent ways that redemption is woven into the life of God's uh, people. We're going to read Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then let's go to verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals, that are males, shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now you can imagine growing up in a community where these things are actually practiced. Uh, God commands Israel, consecrate to me all the firstborn, both of men and of animals. And that consecration would take place either in one of two ways. To consecrate means to set apart for the Lord. They belong to God. And you would you would uh, carry out that command uh, of consecration either by sacrificing um, or, uh, or killing or by redeeming. So it would be by death or by redemption. Those are the two options. God required the sacrifice of sheep and goats and cattle. So you can read about that in Numbers chapter 18, where God says, All the firstborn of your sheep and your goats and your cattle, they belong to me, sacrifice them. All the firstborn. Uh, they were considered clean, and so they were offered up to God. Interestingly, donkeys and boys were not allowed to be sacrificed, boys understandably, donkeys interestingly, um, it's because donkeys were not considered clean animals. And so with a donkey, you could either um, consecrate it to the Lord by breaking its neck, or you could redeem the donkey by um, offering a substitute, a lamb, and you would sacrifice the lamb in its place. And the same for a son. Uh, all the firstborn sons would be redeemed, a lamb would be sacrificed, and therefore um, the the life of the son would be would be uh, substituted, and uh, the lamb would be sacrificed and God gives a very simple and clear reason for this in in verse two he says, because they're mine. Uh, consecrate them to me because every firstborn is mine. well, well, how did the firstborn of animals and people, how do they become the Lord's? And the answer is uh, by virtue of creation and by virtue of redemption. By virtue of creation, God owns everything. And uh, the firstborn stands for the whole. So when God says the firstborn is mine, he claims, he claims all of it. It's a basic lesson in stewardship that Israel needs to learn. Remember, they were in Egypt. They didn't have anything, nothing. They were, they were property. Pharaoh, and now suddenly they're leaving Egypt with great wealth, the the, the Egyptians have given to them their gold and their silver and their precious things, and so they're loaded with wealth, and and they need to understand all that wealth is not theirs, it belongs to God, but but, uh, by virtue of creation, firstborn belong to him, but specifically by virtue of God's redemption, that's where the Lord points in verses 14 and 16. So when the son comes and asks, what does this mean? That's just a great phrase, great line, great question. It means that parents, Christian parents, godly parents, covenant parents are to be living in, in such a way that, that the young children ask you about the meaning of things. Why do we do this? Why don't we do that? How come this? Why not that? And so, because because children are watching and children are evaluating and they're and they're and they're trying to figure things out. And so here's a here's a little Israelite uh, boy and he, and he and he asks his father in time to come he says, Dad, how come when uh you know uh, the, the the cow um, gave birth this year that you you just killed it, Dad? Cows cows are expensive. And every time, there's a, new, there's a firstborn among the sheep, and, and um, I saw when uncle so-and-so, when they had their first baby, they, they had to go and they, they had to sacrifice a lamb for it. What is that all about? Isn't it wonderful how God just weaves in these illustrations so children ask questions and, and moms and dads get opportunities to share the gospel? And so the father would say, well, I'll tell you, son, we are a redeemed people. This is our identity. We were in bondage in Egypt. We were in slavery, and we couldn't possibly rescue ourselves. But, but God came, and, and he redeemed us. He, he, he bought us, and he brought us out of Egypt, and he put us here in this land in which we live. And that would, that would resonate with a little guy and a little, a little gal. That, that sense of identity of what it means to be an Israelite. What it means to be an Israelite is, is that, that you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. You've been loved by God. You have, an, you have an identity in relationship to the Lord. And you would understand that this relationship had been formed at a cost. Redemption is not a cheap thing. We redeem a pop can for 10 cents. Redemption in Old Testament Israel usually involves a life. Something dies. And the reason for that is, is that Israel's redemption involved a life. The price of Israel's redemption was the life of all the firstborn of Egypt, both man and animals. And so in Isaiah chapter 43... God says, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. The firstborn of Israel was substituted, in a sense, for the, for the life of Israel. And, and then you'd also have the Passover blood, where the angel of death is going to come over, and a lamb has to be sacrificed. And, and the, the, the children have identified with this lamb. He's been living with them for four days. And then its throat is, is cut, and its blood is put on the doorpost. Redemption costs it's serious business. There's blood involved. There's a life that's lost, a substitution that's been made. And so you have a sense that your, your life was forfeited, and now by, by, the, by the, uh, the payment of a price, you've been purchased for God. Just if you have your Bible, go to Isaiah 43, because the Lord, in such a wonderful way, in chapter 43... This reminds Israel of what it means to be redeemed. It's interesting, not surprising, but interesting, that of all the prophets, Isaiah, the most messianic of the prophets, is the one who speaks most often about a redeemer. And in, in, in chapter 43, this is this great text, you, you know it well. But look at what it means for Israel to be redeemed, This, this, this sense of being loved and belonging to God. But now, Isaiah 43, verse 1, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. God is trying to communicate uh, to his people how dearly he has loved them, uh, the pr- uh, that a price was paid for them, and, and therefore now they they belong to the Lord. Uh, you are mine. He claims them as his people, and he is the Holy One of Israel, your God, You see, re- redemption has this familial language of, of, of belonging, of, of being loved dearly, and a price being paid. And so when Isaiah, again, speaks of a coming lamb that is to be slain, he, he speaks of a redeemer. Isaiah 59, 20, a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. And of course, then John the Baptist says, pointing at Jesus... Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Christ now appears after all this rich re- uh, uh, redemption history has been laid down in Israel. And, th- and there's uh, sacrifices and sacrifices and redemption and redemption. But, but never the ultimate the- the price or redemption or, or purchase. Um, now Jesus appears against all that backdrop And he says, uh, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and Jesus said that I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. That makes sense to Jewish ears. He's going to come and give his life as a ransom? There's redemption? God is rescuing us by the payment of a price. And that's exactly what he was doing. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. You have the exact same familial language. Redeemed so that we might receive adoption as sons. And Paul goes on to say, and if sons then heirs redemption isn't just what you're purchased from it's what you're purchased to israel was not just brought out of the bondage of egypt they were heirs of the land of promise and that's precisely what we have in the gospel that jesus has not uh, just saved us from our sins he has bought us out of the bondage of sin and has made us heirs of everlasting life christ was the redemption price Paul says in Galatians 3, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, Peter speaks of it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. You were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ. To be a Christian is to be someone who has been bought. There's been a, a, you've been delivered by a price that has been paid. Now one of the questions that the uh, church has wrestled with is, to whom was the ransom paid? Uh, there was a payment, we know that, there's redemption, but, but, but who receives the payment? And the early church fathers uh, suggested that it, maybe it was the devil, that the devil has um, maybe some authority because of our sin, and, and so the ransom was to the devil. Well, that's been uh, rejected, and, and it must be rejected. God is no man's debtor. Uh, Others suggest that the uh, the payment is to the law, God's law, which we violated. And and while Christ clearly has satisfied the demands of the law, you can't can't really um, pay the law. It's it's, it's, it's impersonal, and the law doesn't stand as a, a separate something. The law is a reflection of God's own character and person. You see, Jesus paid the penalty owed to the holy love of God. It's God's personal holiness and honor and love that was violated by Adam and Eve. The holiness of God, there's, uh, Sinclair Ferguson does a nice job with this in um, his book, I think it's called Devoted to God, and he talks about holiness not as moral perfection, that's how we often think of it, but holiness, Ferguson says, is, is actually this passionate, passionate committed, sacred love that exists between the members of the Trinity, this devotion to one another that nothing can violate, it's like a marriage then, a marriage is a holy thing in the sense that two people have committed themselves to one another as husband and wife and, and it's a holy thing, it, they belong to themselves and nothing should be allowed to, to separate them, nothing should be allowed to, to break into that relationship. And so, you see, the beautiful thing is in the garden where where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, say, let us make man in our own image. And they create, God creates a man and invites Adam and Eve to share, in a sense, the, the intimacy, the holy love that exists in the Godhead. And that's what Adam and Eve sinned against. It's not just a law, a rule, don't eat of the tree, but it's it's against the honor and the beauty and the love of God himself. That's what's been violated. Well, how do you make that right? You You can't make that right, particularly when you violate that holy honor and love over and over and over again, and that's what we do every time we sin. And so the penalty for such an offense is death. It has to be death. Eternal death. You cannot violate such a holy thing as as the the holy love and honor of, of God the Father, Son, and Spirit and then enter eternal life in His presence. It can't happen. So when men, wicked men stand before God on the last day and they view the eternity of hell that stretches out in front of them, they will acknowledge that this is the perfect and utterly necessary response of a holy loving God to a rebellious creature. No one in hell will will sense that this is unjust, not when they've seen God. And so that's the dilemma of humanity. We can't rescue ourselves. No mortal man can pay. Like Old Testament Israel, a slave can't redeem himself. He doesn't have the means. A widow can't redeem herself. A firstborn infant has no ability to redeem himself. Somebody else has to pay the price. And the gospel story is that someone else has. What shall a man give for his soul? Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Would God be pleased with that? Desperate parents still today in India drowned their children in the river Ganges trying to atone for their sin. We sense that the price must be very high, but you see it's, it's higher than we can pay. No mortal man can pay it, but that's the beauty of the gospel. Only God could pay the price, and, and God did, and he did it in the most amazing way by sending his own son. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And and because Jesus Christ has come, you see, the gospel invitation can go out to bankrupt sinners. Come, you who have no money, come buy wine without money and and milk without cost. It's, It's freely given, it's freely offered. The, the redemption has been made, and now the benefits of that redemption can be entered into by anyone who confesses their sin and comes to Jesus Christ in faith. Are you in bondage tonight? Bondage to sin, bondage to guilt, bondage to fear of death? Well, the gospel is for you. You've maybe have been spending all this effort trying to pay back in some ways. You can't pay back, but you can receive. You can receive what's been freely accomplished for you. You can be free. You can be redeemed. And maybe as a Christian, you're, you're just struggling tonight. You believe these things, and yet there's so much, there's so much uh, doubt and confusion and fear in your life. Remember who you are. If you are a Christian, you are a redeemed person. Think of Isaiah 43. It's for you. You are loved. You belong. You've been brought out of bondage. You are made now a, a son, no longer a slave. You are an heir of everlasting life. And now we're, just, now we're called to live like it. You see, to be redeemed means fundamentally we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We don't belong to this world anymore. We've been brought out of this world. But we do belong to God. We belong to God for this life and for forever. And that means that no matter what circumstance uh, we face, no matter what trials, no matter what heartaches, no matter um, the weakness, the failure, the fact is that God's claim supersedes everything else. The one who knew us, the one who loved us and formed us and called us, the one who bought us with his, the blood of his own son uh, is the one who's going to save us all the way to the end. And, and so, you know, what is our comfort? That I am not my own. But I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He paid the full price for all of my sins. And by that price, friends, we've been set free for an eternity. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you sent a redeemer. We have sinned so grievously against your holy love. And we, Lord, deserve so truly to be condemned, and yet you sent your own son born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might become the children of God, adopted as sons and daughters. And Father, I pray that that would be good news to us tonight, that we would cherish the gift of redemption in Jesus Christ, that we would have a confidence and a boldness That comes from knowing that we don't belong to ourselves. We're not our own. And we certainly don't belong to this world. It has no claim on us. We don't have to submit to its rules or principles. But we do belong to God. A called apart people. Consecrated unto the Lord by the the blood of Jesus Christ. And a people not just for this life. But forever. For Jesus Christ has ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and, and has made us a kingdom and priest to our God and we shall reign on earth forever. Oh God in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And I pray, Lord, we would live then as those who've been purchased with his precious blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.